On this edition of the Seacoast Forum, uh, we're going to follow up with our guest from last time, the coach, Bill Taylor. And uh, coach, we had such a great response to the first edition of our, our program with you as our guest. We're going to shift gears in this one. We talked classic music in our last edition. Now, this time around, something else that I know is near and dear to you, classic movies. Oh, you are absolutely correct. And I will tell you, Sherm, I heard nothing but positive reviews uh, on the last podcast we did. Well, we only scratched the surface on the music part. And, and today, we'll probably do the same. Just scratch the surface of classic movies and our love for them. I'm going to let you define what it is for you that makes a movie a classic. A classic movie, to me, is something I just sit and enjoy watching, and I can watch it numerous times. I like to go back and see them uh, repeatedly because there are times I just feel like I've missed some key parts here and there. I also like it to be completely quiet when I when I watch a film. Uh, I kind of really get into what's going on, and if it's not a good film, then I won't get into what's going on. <laughs> Onwards and upwards, right? <laughs> yeah. I want to start by asking you a question. True. Because I know, and I know you like your Westerns also. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, if I were to ask you, and I know we both have a uh, fondness for John Wayne. Amen, brother. That's right, Pilgrim. I should have answered you that way. You're right. <laughs> What is your favorite John Wayne Western? If I were to ask you to list them, you know, what is your favorite? The one I can watch over and over and over again. And, I, and I'm going to use Rio Bravo as an example of what I consider a classic movie, uh, a movie yeah. that you can jump into at any point. That movie, if I'm, like I say, if I'm scanning the dial and I, and I come upon that, I don't care whereabouts it is in the movie. I hang right in there. So that, to me, is a classic. Anything that locks me in and I can join it anywhere in progress, that's a classic to me. Rio Bravo is probably the the one go-to John Wayne that I never get tired of. But what I consider the one, I, I and I'm glad he ended his career with it, The Shootist, the one he did mm -hmm. with, with Lauren Bacall and young Ronnie Howard right after he got through Happy Days. Uh, you know, it was the old gunslinger who knew he was going down for the count. He had the big C and, uh, he was going out on, on his terms and, and on his, on his birthday gets into a massive shootout, with three of his enemies. And, uh, well, it, 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 I don't want to spoil the plot in case anybody has never seen it, but it was a fitting way for the Duke to end his movie career. And I love the John Ford trilogy. And I love those because I love the interaction between Wayne and Victor McLaughlin. Yeah. I just thought Victor McLaughlin was a great, great. I mean, he went from a star to a character actor and he was outstanding. My favorite John Wayne movie is The Searchers. Yeah, that is probably his best acting performance. I just thought it was a superb movie and I was astounded when I. John Ford was nominated for Best Director, I believe, four or five times. 
And the Searchers was the one time he did not win the Academy Award for Best Director when he was nominated. And I just, I found that kind of hard to believe because I thought that was such a, just a great film filled with unique characters. Everyone from Ward Bond to Ken Curtis to Jeffrey Hunter uh, to Vera Miles uh, and Natalie Wood. Let's let's go to the Quiet Man for a minute. You mentioned John Ford. That to me is is a movie. Again, if I scan in the dial and I I see a even a part of it, I I'm locked in. It's got a, a lighter tone to it, and and John Ford obviously that was to me one of the best things he ever directed. I mentioned his name earlier, but actually both of them, Ward Bond was in that one, yeah. and uh, Victor McLaughlin's character was just great. It it, it, it had all the elements. And they were all in line, you know, uh, Ford, yeah, Ford, I agree. Ford just loved what he was doing and he made sure it was just right. And he got the best performances out of Wayne, uh, O'Hara, uh, he mentioned Victor McLaughlin, Arthur Shields, and also his brother, Barry Fitzgerald. Yep. I mean, that was, that was, that was, that was just a, a such a, a well done movie. So that, that probably a non, a non Western movie for John Wayne. That's it. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I just watched another classic, and I'm going to ask my darling Clementine or the one I just saw just recently again, The Gunfight at OK Corral. Mm. Which one do you prefer? Those are two. It's almost like a heavyweight fight when you got two great fighters going at it. Yeah, that, that, that's a that's a, a draw in my in my books. I would watch either one. I, I enjoy both of them. Um uh, yeah, yeah, that's hard. That's a real hard, hard one. The casting is perfect almost in both of those movies too. So, what, what about you? Right. As a whole, I really enjoyed Gunfight at the OK Corral. I mean, I thought that was outstanding. I, I want to stay with John Wayne for a minute. This is, seems like a tribute to John Wayne. It's really not, but it's a good jumping spot for uh, for the, especially the two of us on this topic. Okay, we talked about our favorite John Wayne movie. And you, and you said the searchers, and I and I guess I'll go with the shootist. What's what's the one that you kind of say? Why did he do this movie? If you, if you remember one that's a real clunker for you, uh, you know, yeah, the worst one was, and it might have contributed to his death because so many of the actors got cancer and died of cancer after it. John Wayne played Genghis Khan, the Conqueror. <laughs> there you go. That was yeah. I. I just shook my head at that whole movie. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was one where he either or, or, owed somebody a, a real big favor, or he said he was going to try to stretch his his acting chops, and that one just didn't happen. I mean, he had uh, Susan Hayward was in that. The director was Dick Powell, and you're absolutely Thanks. right. Uh, all three of those uh, folks, and then they found out after the fact that they were doing most of that in the uh, a part of the desert that had been part of the nuclear testing or atomic testing at the time. Right. I know you were Western fans, but is there another genre of movie that you really lock into when, when you're scanning the dial? Uh, you know, there are certain actors that I really enjoy, and I have certain 
actors or actresses that kind of turn me off. Now that you brought it up, all right, because, you know, I, I, I'm just curious, uh, name name one actor and one actress for now that just, you know, when you see them, it's like, okay, turn the channel. For the most part, James Cagney does it for a male actor hmm. and a female actor. Catherine Hepburn, I just don't get it. I, However, I will say that uh, the one that she was with Humphrey Bogart, where they were going down the river. The African Queen, yeah. Okay. I thought that was superb. Good example of, of a classic movie, because there's a stretch. Okay, John Huston produced and directed that movie, uh, went to Africa to do the film. It wasn't done on a set in California. It was actually down in, I believe, believe the Congo. Humphrey Bogart and, and uh, Catherine Hepburn had to stretch themselves because they were under real... Well, to put it bluntly, crappy conditions. They were in in Africa. They they were helped by the environment, but they 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 stretched. It wasn't just Humphrey Bogart playing a gangster or Hepburn playing a sophisticate. Uh, I have some movies that I kind of come and go on. Uh, they're more recent. By more recent, I mean seventies. Uh, One is American Graffiti. Okay. When I first saw it, I thought it was fabulous. Uh, I rewatched it a second time and not so much. Third time, okay. <laughs> but it, it still wasn't as good as I remembered it. Another one was Easy Rider, although I, I liked it better the third time. First time I watched it, thought it was great. Second time, not as much. Third time, I really got into it again. Hmm. I don't know your take on those movies. Uh, Easy Rider, I'll, I'll agree with you. I went to the theater to see that when it was out years ago and it didn't do anything for me. Like American Graffiti, go back to that. It's the music, I think, that actually had a hit soundtrack album, going back to our mm. last topic of music. Uh, they yeah. they knew what they were doing when they put the they blended the music along with the the movie itself. If you had if you didn't have that classic soundtrack behind that acting, because it just would have been another teen movie, you know. Uh, it, the, yeah. the music made the movie in that in that case. Uh, Harrison Ford might never have been Han Solo. <laughs> now he's an example of an actor. Uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, I, again, we'll get into this next time, but. They, they they know their genre, their lane, whatever. Go back to you mentioned Jimmy Cagney. I want to I want to address that now. James Cagney, I, I think he was a, a good actor for the time, the times. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the stuff they put him in at Warner Brothers was Jimmy Cagney stuff, meaning gangster movies, tough guy movies. Uh, right, White, White Heat was probably you know the top of the draw uh, for him. Right. And the oh, world, Ma. Yeah, top of the world, Ma. And and uh, the uh, other movie, of course, is Yankee Doodle Dandy, where he was George M. Cohan, and he and he loved yeah. dancing. He was a a hoofer before he became an actor, and and so it, it, that was in his wheelhouse. wasn't a singer, but he was a dancer, so that fit in with that 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 premise of uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy, corny movie, but it's a good movie. It's a it's it's type of movie you drag out on the Fourth of July, obviously. You know, I'm going to mention one more serious movie because it's one of my all-time favorites. Okay. Is Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, that's a great flick. Yeah. Oh, what a fantastic movie. Oh, it that's another one where all the actors were just, you know, 
just perfect. You know, it was a case of people. Henry Fonda, yeah. John Carradine, as a, as, a, as a supporting actor, who's really good in that movie. Yeah, and and it was a case of uh, it took the Steinbeck novel and and did a real good job bringing it to the screen. There's a lot of movies, and that's something else we could go for. And probably another topic another time is you, when you take a book and transport it to the to the silver screen. You know, take and try to translate a book into a movie. That that's that's a handful, and a lot of them don't succeed. Now, there's a few I can think of. Uh, one that I'll bring up right now that did a nice job having read the book when I was a kid and then went to the movie and that was Jaws and another one mm -hmm. another one is Godfather and and uh, Francis Ford Coppola said that's what he did he took the book literally apart page by page and when he did the Godfather kept as much of that Mario Puzo novel intact scene by scene and, and he did a great job on, on at least godfather one what's your favorite sci-fi movie i like sci-fi from the 50s that's really cheesy and bad i can watch those over and over again too. <laughs> i mean with the, the guys that playing the monsters in the rubber suits i get kind of turned the original godzilla i can deal with after a while uh, no a serious one was uh the one with Michael Rennie, I think it was directed by Robert Wise. The Day the Earth Stood Still. That's it. That's the one. That's the one you're talking about. And that that is, that's a great example of a, a, a sci-fi movie that didn't go over the top with what was then uh, their special effects. Sci-fi pictures, um, the one that always got me goes back to, oh gosh, when I was just a young kid. Invaders from Mars. Invaders from Mars. Oh. You remember that one? Yeah. Little boy sees an alien spaceship yes. crash behind his house. It's in a sand right. pit. And, and it turns out to be Martians. And uh, his, he tells his mother and father, and they go take a look to see what, what's out there. And they come back, and they're like zombies, both of them. They're, the creature that is controlling the Martians, it's this globe with a looks like an octopus with a face on it <laughs> it scared the bejesus out of me when i was a kid and then that was in black and white later i got to see it in color and it was even scarier <laughs> <laughs> they remade that movie i think it was in the 80s let me just double check that yeah in 86 they remade that movie and when they remade it of course they had all the technology then to up the ante and make it scarier or weirder or whatever is there any other movie when you're when you're scanning the dial that you'll say wow i gotta watch this another science fiction movie the thing oh yeah james arnett's played a unrecognizable part mm -hmm. but he was giant vegetable from outer space and i'll tell you it was great flick yeah it's just it, it that movie there's a good example of you know some people would say oh it's a cheesy film because well the special effects weren't there. They did what they could with what they had, but right. they remade the movie and went totally over the top. And and to me, I enjoy the old black and white one more than the color version. Kurt Russell was in the update, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, I didn't mind the updated ones. They did three of them all together. There are three dealing with that subject. I didn't mind because they it wasn't, 
an actual remake in that it was, you know, shot for shot, the same film. They kind of changed it around a little bit, so I didn't mind it. The classic version would be the James Arness looking like yeah, a giant character. I agree. Yeah. People have their definition of what they consider a classic movie, and, and, and that's their prerogative. What I don't understand is how the Academy Awards are handed out. And especially in the past few years, it's like, I don't think I've seen most of the movies they've been nominating and most of them I wouldn't want to see. Now, I, what I thought would be fun is I'm going to go back and I got a list from 1960 on through mm -hmm. 69. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the five nominated films for best picture of the year and see if you can pick out which one got it. This is a test for you. Okay. All right. The, nom okay. the nominees for the 1960 film of the year, movie of the year, the apartment, from Billy Wilder, The Alamo from John Wayne, Elmer Gantry, Bernard Smith, Sons and Lovers, Jerry Wald, and The Sundowners, Fred Zinneman. I'm going to say the first one you mentioned, the Billy Wilder movie. The, the Apartment by Billy Wilder. Yes, it was. Yeah, and it was not a collaboration of Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. That one was Jack Lemmon and Fred McMurray. Shirley MacLaine. And Shirley MacLaine. Correct, correct. Yeah, that was, that was uh, you know, of those... I would say of all those five movies I mentioned, I probably four out of the five I would watch over and over again. You know, I would jump in at some point and I'd, I'd consider them a classic. John Wayne campaigned very hard, and as did the, stu the uh, studio, for the Alamo to win Academy Awards and specifically Chill Will yeah. to get this Best Supporting Actor. And it actually turned off so many members of the Academy Absolutely. that neither of them won. Absolutely. Yeah. Matter of fact, John Wayne took a long time to forgive Chill Wills. He finally put him in uh, McClintock, in a, in a role yeah. in McClintock. But it took a while for them to, to patch that up because Chill Wills kind of went rogue and decided he wanted to get the nomination and uh, right. went around Wayne on that one. All right. 1961, the nominees are West Side Story. Fanny, Guns of Navarone, The Hustler, and Judgment in Nuremberg. Honestly, West Side Story turns me off. Well, it's dated. I, yeah, it's dated. They, and, and they even remade it recently. Steven Spielberg made a, a, a newer version of it yeah. recently, and I, it kind of fizzled. It's it, In its time, there again, that was a period piece. It worked. It, it was New York City at, in the 50s, early 60s. It worked. I know my sister loved that movie and loved the soundtrack. I, I, if I heard that soundtrack one more time, I was going to go crazy as a kid. <laughs> Which one did win? West Side Story. <laughs> West Side Story. And then we yeah. got 62, Lawrence of Arabia, The Longest Day, Music Man, Mutiny on the Bounty, and To Kill a Mockingbird. I believe... It was Lawrence of Arabia. You are absolutely right. Yeah, right. And it those, is those a were, really, really very good movie. It is. And it's, it's been, long. Yeah, it's long. And they, but it's good. Yeah, they've added more to that over the years. The uh, the original, they cut it down, and then they uh, did the director's cut. And that's what's on Turner Classic Movies and, and being released now, the updated, elongated version. Uh, yeah, there's some great movies there. I mean, Lawrence of Arabia, Longest Day, Music Man. That was just on a couple of weeks ago, and I was watching that. It is Trouble in River City. 
Uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, that was the updated version with Marlon Brando and to Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> you know, to, kill, to Kill a Mockingbird, that, that's one of those movies that I got to appreciate more yeah. since. It, when it came out first, it was like, eh, you know. And and Gregory Peck, some of his later stuff I actually liked better than the earlier stuff. Now, the other one, 63, was Tom Jones, America, America, Cleopatra, How the West Was Won, and Lilies of the Field. The only one I think I've seen out of all those is How the West Was Won. Yeah, I've seen that and multiple times. I don't think that was at an Academy Award. I I don't know. They yeah. shouldn't have given one. Tom Jones. Now that I I I was too young to see it when when it came out in '63, <laughs> and when it hit Turner Classic, it was like, what was this all about? Cleopatra, same thing. I'll watch a few minutes of it and then turn it off. How the West was won. Yeah, how the West was won is the one I would hang with. Yeah, my yeah. fair in '64, 1964, my fair lady, Beckett, Doctor Strange, Love, Mary Poppins, and Zorba the Greek. Well, you certainly ran the gamut on that one. I yeah. think, uh, what was the first one you mentioned? My Fair Lady. Yeah, I think that one. It did. It did. And that's one of those movies. It was a well-done musical, but it's almost like put that yeah. in a musical category because uh, I talk about eclectic group of uh, nominees. I mean, uh, Beckett, I, I went to the theater to see that. That was a long, drawn-out movie. Dr. Strangelove. You know, Dr. Strangelove is funny. I, I thought Peter Sellers was amazing in that. Yeah. The scene with Slim Pickens riding the atomic bomb <laughs> down just cracked me up. Hey, what a way to go, huh? Uh, Mary Poppins, I mean, for the Disney Studios, that was their biggest up to date. Zorba the Greek, that was a, a fun movie. Uh, yeah, Anthony Quinn yeah. did a nice job in that. And uh, I think more people remember the music than the movie, though. Right. <laughs> and then in 65, The Sounds of Music, Darling. Dr. Shivago, Ship of Fools, and A Thousand Clowns. Those were the choices in 65. Well, I don't know if it, I believe the Sound of Music won, and it should have. That, that's did. a superb play. Yeah, Julie Andrews, she did win Best Actress for Mary Poppins. Sound of Music, the picture of the year. No, she did not get one. Wow. <laughs> she, she got jobbed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you were right on that one. We'll wrap up with 66. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to go two more years, and then we'll go. A Man for All Seasons in 66, Alfie, The Russians Are Coming, Sand Pebbles, or Who's Afraid of a Virginia Wolf? What was the nominee for 1966, the winner for 1966? Uh, I think Virginia Wolf won, but that's not my cup of tea. No, you know, the one that won was A Man for All Seasons, and that definitely, oh, really? wasn't, yeah, that definitely wasn't my cup of tea, I have to admit. I mean, I had to yeah. see that. They took us from uh, the school to go see that down at the Ioka. And uh, I think there was a lot of snoring going on that day. Alfie, of course, that was the first of Michael Caine's big movies. Who's Afraid of a Virginia Wolf? That was just a tour de force for acting from both, uh, you know, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. You know, she yeah she took that one. I on. guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, to me, that movie, I... You'd have to tie me down to make me watch it because uh, I don't want to watch people just yell at each other. Yeah, well, I agree with you. And and then uh, 67, there were some good selections here. In the Heat of the Night, Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle, The Graduate, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Uh, I'm going to guess the winner was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. No, it but... was In the Heat of the Night. In the heat oh, of the that's night. a great... Yeah. I just rewatched that recently. Sidney Poitier... 
was outstanding in that movie. He was. Rod Iger. Oh, he was really good in that movie. Playing the redneck sheriff. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was it was a well done movie. And, and, and of course, the classic line, they call me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> and Bonnie Clyde, they did, did nice things with that. Uh, they did. Yeah. That was a good flick, too. I think the violence kind of turned people off. Yeah. And some of them. Yeah. Well, especially at. Yeah, making and glorifying uh, Bonnie and Clyde in a way. I mean, making it more romantic right. than it really was. I, I read the book, and uh, they weren't nice people. Let's put it that way. Uh, Doctor Doolittle, I, I have to admit, I saw that at the theater as a kid, and I went, "Eh, okay." We already knew you could talk to the animal. <laughs> oh, that's right. Remember? Uh, hey, now go back to our, our music theme. Who had the hit record with talking to the animals? <laughs> Sammy Davis <laughs> Jr. Sammy Davis. There you Jr. go. Yeah, he's rocking and talking to the animals. That was the graduate. Of course, that uh, I think is known more for, for you know being the breakout for Dustin Hoffman, but also yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. Again, soundtrack was right for that movie. Dustin Hoffman was the nervous guy, young guy, and then of course Anne Bancroft. And then guess who's coming to dinner? That was the other one that we talked about. That was the uh, the last movie that Spencer Tracy made along with Catherine Hepburn and, uh, yeah. and Sidney Portier was in that as well. Uh, I'm just looking through the list of the last two years, two years of the sixties, uh, really, uh, the only, I'll go to 69. I'm going to skip 68 because Oliver won the movie of the year. And I saw that as a kid and I went, okay, it's all right. But I would not watch that over again. Funny girl was another one that was nominated lion in the winter. Another one that was nominated. Rachel, Rachel, uh, and then finally for 68, Romeo and Juliet. And that, again, was no more. Zeffirelli. Yeah, yeah. yeah Zeffirelli. And I think it was no more for the soundtrack for the for that um, song. In 69, this is an interesting uh, group. Midnight Cowboy, End of a Thousand Days, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Hello, Dolly, and Z. The one that should have won, I think, was Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. I thought that was an outstanding movie. It should have. Been. And I swear it, it won for best song with raindrops. There you go. On my- uh, hey, but Midnight Cowboy, uh, Midnight Cowboy won it that year. You know, you know what? That's a really good movie. Kind of depressing. It's depressing. But, <laughs> but it is a good flick. I mean, uh, Hoffman was really good as Ratso Rizzo. It's a movie. Uh, it's a movie that if you're gonna watch it, you got to watch it from the beginning to get the whole context of what's going on. Yeah, do. Otherwise, you're like, what? What? What is so? What's the big deal about this? You know, and and not to spoil the plot in case somebody has John, never watched it. But in that, John Voight, yeah, he did a great job. Wasn't uh, the song "Everybody's Talking"? Wasn't that? That's correct. Seems to me that played when he was riding on the bus exactly. headed to New York City. Exactly. Harry Nielsen. Yeah. I'm going to make you think here, Sharon. Okay, go for it. Because we've been talking about some great movies with some great music. For example, Raindrops and, and uh, Butch Cassidy. For a Western. Music from a Western. Hmm. And boy, I can watch this Western over and over and over again, but I absolutely, I like the music so much, I have played it on my show. I would say you're talking about the Magnificent Seven. You are absolutely correct. Yeah, that is a great. The music in that flick was 
outstanding. Elmer Bernstein, I believe. Wasn't that the... Yeah. Yeah. It's just great. We'll talk about this maybe in another show. It's the music drives a movie, makes a movie. We talked about American Graffiti earlier. I mean, without the music, that would have been a pretty boring movie. Uh, they just knew how to intersplice the music into segments of that movie to keep it rolling. And same thing with that driving music from Magnificent Seven. You know, any good movie wow. has a great score behind it. You know, then like yeah, said, that was just really. And you know, it can't be intrusive, but it's just really good. I have to mention this because I was w with my wife and I. We were both watching the gunfight at OK Corral, and if you remember that. The theme song in that reoccurs over and over again. Right. And it's Frankie Lane. Mm -hmm. And it, he has a backing group. You know, Frankie Lane sings about Blue Hill. And in the background, the, the background singers are going, Blue Hill, Blue Hill, Blue Hill. <laughs> and, and my wife and I, we were laughing, but we were singing along with the background there you go. singer. There you go. It, it catches you. Yeah, you get into it. You get hooked into it. Are these movies that you'd watch again and again? In the 70s, I'm just going to give you the ones that won. Patton, French Connection, The Godfather, The Sting, Godfather Part Two, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Rocky, Annie Hall, The Deer Hunter, and Kramer and Kramer. Those were the Academy Award winning pictures for the 70s. Um, yeah, you know what? Uh, and I just I just rewatched the thing, and <laughs> boy, was that outstanding! Kramer and Kramer, I I remember it. It was really good, but I don't know if I care to see it again. And the one of that of that group that I watch, I watched. I think I went to the theater to see it, and I watched it once on Turner Classics, The Deer Hunter. A depressing movie. A depressing movie. I mean, it's well acted, yeah, but it's just not one of those feel-good movies I want to watch over and over again. I mean, just, it, you know, you, right. you got the point. But all, all those movies, I'd say eight of those ten movies I mentioned, and the other connect, the other connection, well, not to, no pun intended for French connection, but of all those movies, I'd say six out of the ten had one thing in common, and that's a, a theme music as we were talking about a soundtrack that drove the movie mm -hmm. Patton, the Godfather, obviously the sting and Rocky who could forget going to fly now. Right. But we just scratched it today, man. We we've got plenty to talk about in the future when it comes to great music and, and great movies. So I am glad you got to jump on board again for the second edition of the Seacoast forum and, and many more to come from, the two of us, when it comes to these topics and others, we, we'll get back into sports on our sports version of the Seacoast Sports Forum. But the Seacoast Forum, will, we'll stick it to the lighter topics like music and and uh, movies and who knows what else comes along. Man cannot be entertained by sports alone. Sometimes <laughs> have music and movies. That's right. That's right, man. Yeah, you are absolutely right. There are other things besides sports out there, and, and uh, that's part of the reason why I started up this podcast. So uh, I want to encourage people, if they're enjoying the show, we're on all the major podcast platforms now. We're there. And also, if you're enjoying the show, spread the word. Pass it on to a friend, a relative. Uh, we could use as many listeners as possible. We appreciate it. And if you're on one of the services where you can follow, click the follow button and or subscribe so that you'll get the latest edition when we put one out. And we will be back again soon. Well, you know, I was going to say one thing, though, 
all our listeners and uh, or you know anyone who does listen, please write to Hollywood and tell them don't try and remake a classic flick. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah, do it. Yeah, I want to make sure people know where to catch you on the weekends. Well, I'm on. We do a call-in radio show. It's called the Tales and Company Show. We are on Cool ninety-four point one FM in Salisbury, Mass. You can get us on the computer. You can get us. We stream. Uh, you can get us on the TuneIn Radio app and others. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun. We start at eight a.m. and we go till two thirty. Hey, you might even be a request after this show of getting some of those soundtracks from some of those uh, classic movies we were talking about today. Theme music. All right, sir. Well, on behalf of Bill Taylor, this is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seacoast Forum podcast.